If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. God wants to finish the story. And the very thing that we would love, He enfolds in Himself all that would bring joy and life and peace to us. Welcome to Keep the Main Thing a podcast of sermons and messages from Pastor Leland Evenson. I'm Mark Evenson. Today's sermon from Pastor Lee is titled, United We Demonstrate, Divided We Destroy. He gave this sermon on January 25th, 1987. He bases this message from the epistle lesson for that Sunday, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. At the end of 1986, my mother's cancer had progressed to a point where the doctors in Minneapolis had pretty much given up hope. I remember they told her she had four to six months to live. At the time, my sister, Shauna, and her husband, Mark, were living in San Antonio, Texas. Mark had been through several medical challenges himself, and as a dentist, he was very familiar with the University of Texas Medical School in San Antonio. Shauna and Mark suggested that my mother fly down to San Antonio and meet with a surgeon that Mark knew who might be able to help remove the cancerous tumors. To back up a bit and give a bit more perspective, my mother had been diagnosed with sarcoidosis of the lung about 10 years before her cancer diagnosis. It was in the treatment of the sarcoid that cancer developed. Because of her fragile lungs, she was not a candidate for what was at the time the traditional cancer treatments, radiation and chemotherapy. We live in a much better medical environment today, of course. We are fortunate to have had the treatment for cancer to advance and improve so tremendously over these last 40 years. Consequently, removing tumors was surgically the only way my mother could combat her cancer. Anyway, Pastor Lee delivered this sermon shortly after coming back from San Antonio. He effectively uses cancer as an example of how our self-centeredness, our egos and sinful natures can act like cancer by destroying everything around us, relationships, families, and in this instance, Paul's letter to the Corinthians suggests the church as a whole was susceptible. You will find that he uses his distinctive, quote, leave you with three words, unquote, in his outline of the message. And as usual, besides his cancer metaphor, he has a few other stories and anecdotes laced throughout his talk. And as we have experienced in a few other messages, he makes somewhat of an insightful prophecy or prediction, this one involving the significant growth of relativism in our society and how this powerful philosophy has come up against the Christian church, and frankly, how it has weakened much of our Judeo-Christian morals and values. This sermon is a good example of Pastor Lee imploring us to keep the main thing the main thing, encouraging us to put aside our selfishness and strive for unity, unity with one another in Christ. And again, he closes the sermon out with a very impactful story which ties everything together. Here is 
United We Demonstrate, Divided We Destroy, January 25th, 1987. I want to use the uh, epistle lesson this morning, 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17, as basis for the sharing of the, the meditation. About two-thirds way through Miriam's surgery last Friday, the surgeon had one of the assistants come and get me and take me into the lab for various reasons, I'm sure, to make me realize the complexity and to make me realize why the length of the surgery, but they took me in to show me one of the masses that was lying there in the lab. A variety of feelings came over me as I looked at that. <clears throat> one of them, I think, was anger. Anger that uh, this was a part of her being that was trying to destroy her and had been growing within her. Uh, not caring about the rest of her body. And so along with the frustration and despair and a variety of other feelings, certainly there was that sense of anger. <clears throat> Later as I thought about that and reflected on that and tried to make some sense out of what that could teach me in, in another realm of living, it seemed the Lord was trying to say that too often that in my own life, I live like those cancer cells, that I'm only concerned about me. Cancer is only concerned about itself, and those cells uh, are not concerned about the body. They take nourishment and energy and strength and divide uh, haphazardly without concern for the rest of the body. There's, it's a very selfish kind of process that's going on. And how often, you see, in our own lives, do we live on concern like cancer about the rest of the body, whether that body is our own family and our home, as husband and wife, parents and children, or in the body of Christ and the kingdom of God at large. And the destruction that goes on because we don't think beyond our own needs, our own wants, our own ego, our own pride. And so too often in the life of the body of Jesus there is a destructive process as Paul points out in these verses today. There are three words that I would like to leave with you, the word plan and the word problem and the word priority. Paul begins by saying, I appeal to you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no dissensions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Someone shared at staff uh, the other morning and the story was relayed to me because it fits in so well with this text about this congregation that were going to build a small church and because it was rather small they felt they could do it themselves with volunteer labor. <clears throat> and so they had one rafter that uh, was going to serve as a pattern and so uh, they got the rafter and they cut the first rafter but instead of using the original one they took the one they had sought off and used that for the next one and then they used that one and so on till they had all the rafters cut and they found out much to their dismay that each one had changed just a little bit so that by the end the last one was much longer than the original pattern had been they should have gone back to the original 
back to the first one every time they cut a new rafter. In the life of the church, the danger is we don't go back to the original. We don't go back to Jesus, who is the pattern, who is the original rafter in, in the kingdom of God and in the church. The danger is, uh, as Lutherans, we go back to Luther, and sometimes we quote Luther more than we quote Scripture. And Luther certainly was, is one of the rafters, but he is not the original. Someone was reading uh, Luther uh, during Christmas and was uh, horrified at his attitude toward the Jews and uh, kind of that the old nature attitude of Luther came out. So we, we need to understand that these who we too often serve as rafters are not perfect. That can happen today in various uh, leaders in the church in a variety of ways that we make them the pattern. And that what was happening in the church at Corinth. They weren't going back to the original, going back to Jesus. We get more caught up than maybe the denomination or a pastor or the founder or reformer. God's plan, you see, is Paul reminds us that we are to be of one mind, of, of one thought, that Jesus' final prayer when before he ascended was a prayer, Father, make them one, that the world may know. You see that you have sent your Son, as we sing in that song. And that was his prayer throughout John 17. Father, that they may be one, because he knew the world would only stop and pay attention as there was a sense of unity in terms of the body of Christ, of who we were. Paul reminds us in another place that we, if we know Jesus, we have the mind of Christ. And if we have the mind of Christ in each of us, his spirit, then there should be that sense of unity. That was his plan, that the Holy Spirit would come and indwell in each of us. Sometimes uh, our consul operates on unanimity, that we don't do anything unless everybody is in agreement. And sometimes that's very frustrating. And sometimes people have come to me and said, maybe we should change that because it is frustrating. It's patient trying. It does all kinds of things. But you see, to really believe seriously that we have the mind of Christ is that we wait and reflect and pray and struggle till finally we come to unanimity on some given issue. That's his plan for the church, for the kingdom, for the body. We are neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It says in Ephesians, he's broken down the dividing wall of hostility that separates us. You see the unity when you sit in a hospital, you get a lot of illustrations and one sense is a sense of unity as uh, different people are all ministering to to one patient uh, but the way they do it is because there is a communication and a unity and they read the charts of the shift that went off and the shift that's coming on and they talk with one another and the doctors read the charts and uh, so there is that sense of unity in terms of focusing together on getting someone restored to health the body of Christ is to be that and much more, that, that we are to focus on God's chart, God's word, 
And as we focus on what he has done and what he wants to do now, we become that kind of body that is a hospital, that restores life, that brings new life, that brings people into the kingdom. God made that his plan that we walk together, that we're not lone rangers, that we need one another. When there's not unity, there's not life. All of us have sat down at the table with our husband or wife and uh, we were not in unity and the food could have been the best cooked meal in the whole city of Minneapolis and it tastes like sawdust because there's not a unity, there's a disunity and it affects our appetite, it affects the taste of food, it affects whether the sun is shining brightly or not shining at all. God designed us that life really only works as there is a sense of unity within us and a unity with one another in Jesus. That was his plan. We are to be one, but to be one in Christ. Miriam's being where she is came because of our family, uh, I think back and how the Lord arranged it. If the, our two sons wouldn't have given us Christmas presents of tickets to San Antonio, we wouldn't have gone. And if our daughter and son-in-law wouldn't have insisted that we would go and see this surgeon that had done major surgery on my son-in-law four or five years ago, we hate to think what would happen. And so because there was that sense of response and unity and communication within the family, within our home, so she is being helped and cared for, and we believe that healing is coming to her. So it is meant to be in the body of Christ, that each of us has a responsibility, sometimes unknown to us, that we are being used by Lord, the Lord in various ways to minister to others in the body and outside of the body of Christ. But it's important that there's that unity. Some years ago, three decades ago, Life magazine was the big magazine. And that's broad, you know, and include, they put everything in there, all kinds of articles. And then uh, probably a decade or so ago, we came with a magazine called People. Now that's still pretty broad and takes in a lot of territory. But now they've come up with a magazine called Us. And either there's one on a newsstand or coming on a newsstand that's simply called me. And that's kind of has how our society has moved from a broad spectrum to being concerned only about me, my needs, my rights, my fulfillment, my desires. We kind of shut out the rest of the world. And we become a cancer. And we just kind of in our own way, do what we want to do, irregardless of the body, irregardless of others in our family, in our home, or in the life of the church. We become destructive. And so Paul talks about the problem. Was Christ divided? For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is a quarreling among you, my brethren. Each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified? And so he goes on to share the problem. We're called 
not to compete with one another, but to complete one another. Too often we see people as threats or as a nuisance or as classes of higher and lower, and somehow we feel that a competition even enters into the kingdom, and there are the uh, spiritual elite who are better than others, a self-righteous kind of Pharisaic attitude that can creep into our lives. And sometimes we even look for the things that divide us rather than unite us. I can be with certain people of a different denomination in two minutes. They've got into a discussion on something <clears throat> that divides us, some doctrine, some teaching, and they seem to just take great glee, enjoyment, in finding the things which we don't see together. It was good to be in New Orleans in October for the Leaders' Conference, to be with 50 different denominations for three, four days, and never once sensed the things that divide us and the things we see different. And the whole spectrum was there from the Roman Catholic on the one side to the Pentecostal on the other side of the spectrum, if you look at it in that way. But never once did you sense there was a sense of being competitive or being spiritually elite. The mind of Christ was there. The thoughts of Jesus were dwelling that place. We need to look for commonality. When I was in San Antonio, I would look for that I, as I talked to the nurses, uh, whether uh, I, you know, asked if they're from the Midwest or had been to the Midwest, and sure enough, one had been from Eau Claire and someone else from another part of our Midwest, and the surgeon had trained at Mayo. And so you, had, you began to build a commonality. You try to find a common basis for something that you share in common or the Christian faith. Always in the life of the Christian, we should look for those things we have in common with one another. Not look for some merit badges that we feel we have earned that someone doesn't have. Mind you of the story of the little girl who came home crying one day and mother said, Mary, why are you crying like that? And, oh, she says, Jane is moving out of the neighborhood. And mother said, well, I didn't know you were such a good friend of Jane. She says, I'm not, but now when she moves, there isn't going to be anybody I'm better than. The Ku Klux Klan kind of are afraid of what's going on because if all of a sudden the black people are in the same basis as we are, there are nobody I'm better than. And so there's a town in Texas that doesn't even allow black people, and it's just kind of known throughout the state of Texas that if you're black, you don't live in that town, as was mentioned in, in the problem in Georgia in this March yesterday. But there is that kind of sense in us that we use our cars or our clothes or our spiritual lives or our education or our diplomas because somehow we are built, especially as men, to be competitive from the beginning of our lives, that somehow I need to kind of measure other people and where I come in terms of them. The old nature constantly draws us into that kind of competition. We don't even rejoice when another church is blessed or grows. I yesterday got happened to look at a newsletter that come from another church and they had a whole page on both sides of new members that were joining and the Lord seemed to say, Now you thank God for that. Too often you just kind of sit there in envy and jealousy, but you should thank God 
there are people that no matter where that they are becoming a part of the larger body of Christ. Remind me of my own jealousy and my own envy and my own sense of competition too often even in the kingdom of God that God is blessing some other place than where I am. And Paul saw that problem. Is Christ divided? Shouldn't we rejoice when God blesses the ministry of some other place? Or do we rejoice when someone says something which certainly is out of the character, I believe, of the Spirit, such as Oral Roberts? There are people who almost seem to rejoice at that, a man that God is used in a wonderful way. And now because he makes a statement, which certainly wouldn't be according to Scripture as we understand it and according to God's character, but we shouldn't rejoice in that. We should pray for him and for his ministry and for all of those, wherever God is blessing in the work of the kingdom. There was a book written called uh, Friendly Fire. Many, many things have been written about Vietnam, and this is another book, uh, one of the better ones. There's a new movie coming out, uh, I understand, called Platoon. That is a horrible kind of thing. But this book was called Friendly Fire, and uh, it deals with the details surrounding the death of a soldier and uh, the failure of the Defense Department to account for what actually happened, how he actually died, and only after the family persisted and constantly put pressure on the Defense Department, they finally disclosed to the family that he was not killed by enemy fire, but by misdirected artillery fire from the, our own American troops. Friendly fire. There's too much friendly fire in the life of the body of Jesus. The tragedy of the church has been, as we see it here in Corinthians, and Paul deals with it in various places in Corinthians and also in other places. Being fired upon by our own people, by our own army, we who are to be fighting the world and the devil and the flesh, and winning souls for Jesus too often are taking pot shots at one another rather than loving and affirming. The horrible little uh, illustration of that in uh, 3 John, uh, the ninth verse. It says, I wrote to the church, by Di but Diophanes, who loved to be first, loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. People were denied the input from one of Christ's beloved disciples because he'd reduced his relationship to John to the level of competition. He loves to be first. Jesus says, we, if the spirit of Jesus is in us, we should love to be last, not to compete with others, but to complete others and have others complete us. That was a problem. Mind of the story that Bob Mumford tells of some men being out on the boat and one of them starts to drill a hole 
in the bottom of the boat, and one of the others says, what in the world are you doing? What are you trying to do to us? He says, nothing. I'm drilling a hole under my own seat. But drilling a hole under his own seat affects all of us. We need to understand that. When you're not here on a Sunday morning, that affects all of us. When you carry a grudge against somebody else in the body or outside the body, that affects all of us. When we're not committed to the Lord with our time, talents, and treasures and want to just sit as kind of that cancer cell on concern, that affects all of us. When we forget to pray and to lift up others in the body of Christ and lift up the church, that affects all of us. You drill a hole in one place in the boat, but ultimately it has that effect on all of us. And more and more we need to understand that as, as a body of Jesus and grow in that as a congregation, as we are trying. Certainly the Stevens ministry and the revamping of our under-shepherd programming, dividing into smaller units are ways for us to make real that we are one. When two people have an accident on the freeway, it affects a lot of people. Cars are backed up for miles. People are late to work. When two people conflict with each other in the body of Jesus and do not leave their gift at the altar and go and be reconciled and embrace and love, it affects a chain reaction among all of us. Someone has said, some people bring joy wherever they go, others bring joy when they go. What about you? Are you bringing joy wherever you go? In your home, in the body of Jesus? Joy and peace are our inheritance. Or do you bring joy when you go? Because you live in conflict, because you're always comparing, because you're always concern only about your ego, your needs. And so Paul gets back to the priority. And he ends the verses by saying, after he talks about the problem, <clears throat> for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. <clears throat> Dave Fruoff gave me permission to share a story that uh, some of you have heard. I mean, he told it some years ago, and it was when he was a young man in college, I believe about his first year, about 19, he had a roommate who was a good friend, but, and uh, is also his roommate, and the friend was a conservative Baptist, and Dave was, was Lutheran, and they would always get in, ultimately, back to the argument on baptism, and one would argue, of course, for the infant, and the other for the adult, and they went through this for over a year, and finally they were just going back over the same territory, the same scripture verses, and uh, it was affecting their friendship and their relationship to each other. And one day as they were doing this, this friend of Dave's had this chain with this uh, ring on it of his girlfriend, which was they did uh, 30 years ago when Dave and I were young, was kind of the way that you did it then. And he was fiddling with this ring on this chain, and all of a sudden he stopped in the middle of a sentence, as they were arguing, and he held the ring in his hand. And they went and they examined the chain, every link in the chain. They couldn't find any way. They looked at the ring, and certainly that was a strong class ring. There was no way. 
they never argued about baptism again. They felt it was a sign from the Lord to cut it out, to get on with being a witness and proclaiming the gospel. If I've learned anything in these days, in these weeks, or in these last years, I've learned about priorities, what's really important. And certainly in the kingdom, I, the Lord has taught me, among the many things, what is important. And what is important is not to get caught up in a, a lot of things that are good, but are the enemy of the best. We can get caught up, you see, and Jesus was always fighting that. Seek ye first the kingdom, lay up treasures in heaven. And Paul says the priority, you see, is knowing Jesus and the power of the cross, that there is a strong attachment to him so that you can face whatever comes into your lives. For all of us, all of us will be going through kinds of furnaces in a variety of ways, maybe not physical afflictions, but other afflictions. And the priority is to know the power of the gospel of the life of Jesus in us. And there are a lot of good things we can get caught up in. Social issues today of abortion and pornography and merger and anti-merger and a lot of lesser things that the enemy would want us to focus on. And we lose the thrust when we began to bicker and fight and be petty about a variety of things. It shows we've lost our priorities of people coming into the kingdom, moving from hell into heaven. And Paul wanted to bring him back. The priorities of what's important. And that's harmony. To love one another. To pray for one another. To uphold one another. And to demonstrate to the world that there is a place that really understands Jesus and his power and his love. I love that story that uh, comes out of the movie Spartacus. After the defeat of his army by the Romans, Spartacus and hundreds of his followers were captured and they were sentenced to die. The prisoners were promised life, however, if only one of them would point out Spartacus. Since the Roman generals had never met the man who was the slave who had led the revolt and almost stormed into Rome itself, <clears throat> they wanted to make sure they found him before he could lead again and kill him. At this point in the movie, they're scattered over the hillside, bound in chains, destined to die, silent and still, unless one of them will tell the Romans who Spartacus is. And finally, just as Spartacus is about to stand up to identify himself, another man jumps up to his feet and says, I am Spartacus. And pretty soon another man, I am Spartacus. And another man, I am Spartacus. All over the hill they began to jump up. I am Spartacus. Until every man had said the same word, sealing their fate. And they were all crucified. That's what the church needs today. A other-centered loyalty that focuses not on me, that doesn't become a cancer and concerned about my needs and my desires, but a loyalty that is to Jesus and to others in the body in terms of the priorities 
a witness and prayer and loving and serving and ministering. We desperately in the church need that kind of loyalty today. Willing even, as it says, greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friend, for his husband, for the wife, for the body of Christ, for his children. United, we demonstrate the power and the love of the cross and of Jesus. Divided, we destroy and divide and hurt and kill the body of Christ. Amen. Peace of God which passes all human understanding. Keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed United We Demonstrate, Divided We Destroy. If nothing else, you might have learned a bit about constructing a building and how to make sure you cut your rafters correctly. Thank you again for listening to Keep the Main Thing. And thank you to those who help us share these podcasts. We very much appreciate you passing these sermons along to others who you believe would enjoy hearing Pastor Evenson. Until next time, peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you. Thank you.